we've come back from India a few weeks ago, uh, and part of this service is we want to just give you a little bit of feedback on that. I've asked a couple of people to prepare their thoughts and come up to the stage. Um, and then I'll give some feedback and some reflections on the trip. So it's going to be great. But let me just give you a bit of background. In case you didn't know, we as a church have been developing a relationship for about 16 years with uh, Pastor Sam and, and Lysha in, in southern India, uh, who lead a charity called Bethesda Mission. We've got a charity set up in the UK. There's more information on our website about that. But they predominantly home about 120 children from various kinds of backgrounds and, and losses and whatever, but they, they look to seek to house them, educate them, clothe them, all those things and more, which you, it is brilliant. Um, in addition to that, uh, Pastor Sam also oversees about 15 churches, and he often runs conferences to in kind of empower and engage uh, local leaders so they can go out and effectively preach the gospel. Uh, you can actually see a lot of the stuff we do in the Chai Cafe. So um, those pictures behind the Chai Cafe are actually of um, the, some of the children from the children's home a few years ago. We may update those soon. But, um, and then in addition to that, the video that's just to the side actually tells Samuel's story. So um, if you ever find yourself kind of wandering around on a Sunday morning, just uh, sit next to that screen and look surreptitious or go onto the website, one or the other. Um, but it's absolutely brilliant. And um, you know, we decided as a church uh, quite a few years ago that we would rather support someone personally and then just give a check to a charity each and every single month. It's one of our passions. It gives us a great opportunity to see what's really being done with that money. And so actually we decided to do that. And so the profits from the Chai Cafe go to India. More importantly, we give a percentage of the, um, of the tithes and the offerings that you, that you give to, to India to fund effectively the basic needs of all the children. So we are clothing them, we are feeding them, we are educating them and giving them the best opportunity, an opportunity they wouldn't have had otherwise to go and, and to make a difference. In addition to that, we have sent a number of teams out in the past. And we, as I said, we went out there a few weeks ago, and there's going to be a few photos that slide through. And uh, I want to invite um, Jenny and Mark up to share just a few thoughts of their experience, rather than you listen to me the whole time. As they come up, let me just tell you this very exciting thing, OK? I think revival is going to hit India. And the reason why I do that, I say that, is a very spiritual reason. As you go into a church in India, they ask you to remove your shoes. And so everyone has no shoes on. And I think we should all do this. Do you agree? This isn't a really spiritual thing. I'm just saying we should wear no shoes in church. Who's with me? Wrong crowd, I think. Mark and Jenny, would you mind coming up to the stage, please? Give them a round of applause. Oh, sorry, I haven't got the stick mic. I do apologize. Oh, look at this T-shirt. Thank you. So as I said, I've just asked them to share a, a few thoughts of their experience. Um, let's start with you, Jenny, actually. It would be great. Thank you. Um, yeah, so there was two things that really impacted me when I went to India. Um, I think the first one is just about their hospitality. Every time we had an evening meeting or we went to a church and the word was preached and someone gave their testimony, afterwards they would always feed us, which was just amazing. Some of these people had absolutely nothing. So, you know, every little bit of their money probably went on the food that they gave mm. us. 
Also, at the evening meetings, they would give us scarves, so they would honour each person with a scarf, everyone on the team, and that was just amazing as well. So those scarves probably cost about 100 rupees, which is probably about £1.10, which is nothing to us, but for them, that is a huge amount of money, mm. and for them to give that to 12 individuals, um, and we're, we're, we're no one special, but for them to honour us with that is just amazing. And it got me really thinking about sometimes when I pray to God and I pray to Father and I'm like, but Father, why are you not answering my prayers? And you, you go into churches and you see these people crying out to God and then you get honoured with all these gifts and these, this amazing hospitality. And it makes you, it just humbles you. It makes you just realise that actually, you know, it's not about me. It's about something far bigger than mm -hmm. myself. Um, the second thing that impacted me when I went to India was just um, about the amount of people who are Christians there. There's only about 2% of people Christians, and the rest are either Muslim or Hindu. And sometimes you'll walk along the streets and you'll see idols everywhere. Um, so you'll see like all of their statues and their Hindu temples and things like that. Um, and you're just really praying in the spirit as you're there. But I think what really, really impacted me when I went there was the amount of people that have had to leave their families. And I think it's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, where Jesus talks about turning, you know, I will turn um, a mother against her son. And that verse really kind of played on my mind while I was there because there was two people, uh, an older lady and a younger lady who have, had, who have had to leave their families because they became Christians. And, you know, these people have sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. And I think mm. that was just really amazing and humbling. So, yeah. Wow, isn't that amazing? That's really good. Fantastic. Well, Mark. Mark and I, just to let you know, we shared a room for the whole time with Adam. So we've, uh, we've both become best friends and worst enemies. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's supposed to be one week initially, uh, but two weeks was, um, was what I had to you know, share a room with, with Richard eventually. Well, how you suffered? Uh, I was tough. <laughs> yeah, it's really tough. Um, my, yeah, I'm not going to tell you about all the other personal <laughs> stuff, but it was really funny. Um, my, my initial expectation was um, for, for a week, actually, uh, because I had work to do and there was some uh, uncertainties with, uh, with my job as well. Um, and also we're doing, um, I'm doing a, another charity bill with, uh, in Cambodia with some of my mates in Singapore. Um, so my initial expectation was just a week um, and also to really do some DIY for the new orphanage that uh, Pastor Samuel has set up. They sort of brought orphans from three different orphanages into, into this new big one. Really amazing view. They have a view of the mountains in the front and then at the back there's sort of a river runs through it. It's almost like a movie setting actually. Um, so it was, was thinking of doing some DIY and painting and and all of that, um, that was my first expectation. And the second one was really um, to experience God in a, in a deeper way, actually. But obviously, God has his own plans um, for me. So instead of one week, he said, stay two weeks, which I had uh, the honor of sharing the room with Richard and Adam. Uh, the other thing about um, being in with the, the children, the, the orphans themselves, they, they don't want you to do DIY for the orphanage. They want to play with you. They want to enjoy and, and have fun, basically. And, and that's what we did, actually. We spent a lot of time playing with them. We, 
uh, we helped build a, a table tennis table. We brought <laughs> loads of um, uh, sport um, uh, games and toys. Basically, we table tennis bats and badminton rackets, cricket bats, football, and all that. We did a lot of, and that was probably one of mm. my highlights playing with them. And it was really heartbreaking leaving them at the on the last day. Actually, it's it's almost like they are they are my own daughters and sons, basically. And and some of them ranges from two to you know five to was it two to 18 isn't it they yeah. they have um and there was this girl i was saying to lynn um she was she was five years old she's just gorgeous actually and we were thinking about adopting her as well um so i sent a text to her what do you think and she said mm, yeah <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know any more of the plans yet actually so the, the based on the second expectation which is really to experience god in a deeper sense and and i I somehow experienced God through Pastor Samuel. He's such an amazing guy, actually, and, and I would really encourage you to, to actually watch his uh, film, his, his story, actually. It's mm. such, a, such a moving story, and, and you just, it's, God has touched him in such an amazing way, and, and, and he has done an amazing job, actually, with the children. 120 of them were initially housed in different, not, not that nice type of um, you know, orphanage, and, but now they're in a really nice place now. And, God really bless him and, and, and the orphans, basically. Fantastic. Give him a round of applause. That was brilliant. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> oh, great testimonies. Um, one of the things I laughed at when Mark said he built the table tennis is he basically kind of commanded them to do what he needed to do. Mark's very uh, directive in these things. And he said, well, we need a, a big plank of wood and uh, some stands and, you know, I've got all the rest of the stuff. So suddenly out of nowhere appeared this big plank of wood and they put it down. And at the end, Mark was saying, wow, are you going to keep the table tennis up? And they were like, no, no, we can't do that. Well, Mark's like, why? Well, we've, we've done all this effort to put this table tennis. No, we need to put the door back on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love how in India just, you make stuff work. Um, you know, we, we decided early on as a team, there's a team of 12 of us out there. And as we prayed, we decided we were going to... We, we wanted a mission. We wanted a real clarity as to what we were doing. And, and that mission came determined as we just want to go and be a blessing in whatever way we can possibly be, which is why Mark was saying what he said. Um, and and we, we really found that in many ways quite easy. You know, the children are incredible. They just have this incredible connection. If you hear some of their stories and some of their losses, and yet they find themselves in this orphanage, a little bit kind of unaware and not really sure what's going to happen. But Sam and Lysha just have this way of being a father and a mother. In fact, the kids call them mom and dad. I mean, it is an incredible thing. And, uh, you know, you can tell this from Sam. And uh, we've got a couple of photos, actually, Sam, if you, um, Matt, if you can go to those ones, um, where, um, where Sam and Lysha just have a great relationship. But Sam is just as much as a kid as the rest of them, you can see from there, we took glow sticks out there. He just loves engaging with the kids, and more so, you know, he, he just, you know, he's got an eye for them. So if one of them is crying, he'll just stop everything he's doing and go over to that child and pick them up. And he models, you know, parenthood to each and every single one of these guys. In addition to, you know, playing with the kids and just, you know, pouring out hearts in them as they poured out their hearts in us. In fact, Adam, um, who was one of the guys on the team, he said that he's been so many times to places like Africa and Sri Lanka to do something very similar. And he said he's never felt, found children so loving and so safe and so engaging as those he saw in Bethesda. So, you know, I want to say that out loud because I want you to know that where you are giving your money, that it is going to really make a difference in people's lives. And there's 120 kids there, but so many of them have graduated. We've helped hundreds, hundreds of children 
in the past do that. You, we are doing, you are guys are doing a great job. In addition to that, as Mark was saying, we, we got to do a little bit of DIY. We wrestled with the workers over there to get a paintbrush and just finish painting this uh, new block that they just built in uh, Metapaliam, which is the new location. And, um, and then we dedicated it as well. In addition to that, we planted some fruit trees, and, and through some vague translation and a lot of random words being uh, kind of banded around, we, we concluded that we had no idea what we planted, but we're, we're excited they're going to grow and bear fruit and something. Um, but one of my favorite experiences was actually, uh, was actually um, with regard, regards to baptisms. We went out for a walk one day just to see the local river, just around the back of this um, orphanage. And as we were out for a walk, we kind of came across this river, and Sam just, ting, he had a great idea. You know, they were new to this place. He said, we could do a baptism pool. So right there in the middle of the river, we started digging away and you know, moving all these rocks and, and we had no idea what we were doing, but we were basically just trying to make it deep enough. Who knows what for? And, uh, and it was brilliant. We had so much fun just like kind of throwing away these big stones and competing with each other on that. But then after several hours of digging, we eventually were relatively satisfied with what we had. And the next day we went back and just baptized 15 people. And it was just incredible. You know, it was, you know we've, we've got baptisms taking place in December. And we are, you know, we're not going to build our own pool, dig a hole out of this concrete or anything. But just to be part of that practical as well as the spiritual side was just such a gift. So all in all, we were tired, but we felt like we were fulfilling our mission. But then came the other part. So the other part was we were doing some uh, gospel missions. And we, we basically went to these random churches and, and we shared a testimony, we, we shared the gospel and we got to pray for people afterwards. But whereas everything was really easy in Metabellium, suddenly things felt really difficult. There was a lot of resistance. And the first couple of meetings were good. You know, people seemed to be engaged with the talk. But, um, but even when they came forward for prayer, there just seemed to be something that was holding people back. And we really struggled with that. I personally really struggled with that for the first time because that's not my expectation of India. People have a childlike faith out there. You tell them something, they believe it. It's amazing. And, um, and they usually respond incredibly well. And so I was really frustrated with this. And one day I woke up early in the morning and, and just decided I was needed to worship and I needed to pray about this. And so I grabbed my iPod and, and I just stuck it on random. And the first song that came up was about resisting the devil. And then the next song that came up was about was actually, it wasn't a song, it was a vineyard teaching, a theology teaching thing uh, that said, uh, deliver us from the evil one. And I thought, how random an iPod selection I've got going on here. But actually, after that, I, I realized that God was speaking. And so I prayed into that. And effectively, I, I just prayed that God would do a breakthrough, that, there would be, that the enemy would be pushed back, that people would be delivered, that people would be set free. And then after breakfast, we prayed as a team. And from that moment on, the gospel meetings were astounding. There was a huge difference. You know, we <clears throat> saw so many people come to know Jesus. A lot of Hindus as well, you know. And Jenny was talking about the cost of that. And yet they, was, they were seemingly able to give their lives freely at the gospel that was being preached. More so, people were being set free from lies, from fears, from hopelessness. And instead, you could see this visible change in their face, that they would be filled with joy, that they would be filled with love, that they were, you know, were overwhelmed with what God was doing in that. And it was an incredible and amazing experience. 
And so you can understand why I would happily go back again, um, if not for a text that Tara sent me while I was away saying, uh, and somewhat threateningly to be honest, saying, if you are not, going, you are not getting me pregnant until I've been traveling as well. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. All right, love. Um, no kisses or anything. It wasn't even a romantic text. Um, so I guess after the second baby, she's going traveling. But I would love to go back there again. And, um, and you know, I, but the one thing I was looking forward to was coming home to Tara and Bella and, and just reuniting with the family. And so I jumped onto this plane very excitedly. And uh, I couldn't wait to happen. And you know when you're in that excited mode, you can't wait to see who you're sitting next to. I have these bouts of extrovert uh, tendencies. I'm massively introvert. But I, I just love moments where I've got full of energy and I need to talk to someone. And so uh, I sat in the, in the aisle seat and two across in the window seat was this guy called Philippe, an Italian guy. And we got chatting and it was brilliant. And then our middle seat person arrived, this buxom, bubbly, very drunk Scottish girl. And, uh, and I thought, this is going to be brilliant, isn't it? Um, was it a nine-hour flight or something? And, um, and, I, I, and we just engaged in conversations. And I obviously showed pictures of Bella. And then uh, Philippe, you know, I asked him to show a picture of his girlfriend that he couldn't stop talking about. So out this phone came, and he showed me this picture. And there was this uh, bikini-clad woman laying on a beach looking beautiful. I was like, whoa, buddy, a little bit too much there. I just want to see the face. And so he, so he zoomed in. <coughs> And then he swiped kind of across the picture, but he actually swiped to the previous photo. And I'm sure I saw a naked picture of him. <laughs> so we were in hysterics at this point. He quickly flipped back, obviously. Um, and, then, uh, and then, you know, we kind of carried on. And we, we, you know, um, Kirsty broke the conversation. She said, um, so what are you doing in India? And I said, oh, we're visiting an orphanage. Oh, how did you know about that orphanage? And the moment came. Oh, we, uh, we, we visited it as a church. Okay, and uh, immediately you could see, see the change on their faces. You know, there was a, this picturesque moment where they just had this cheesy grin with their eyes open going, is he judging me? Is this going to be an awkward flight home? <laughs> and then without any hesitation, Kirsty gave me her perception of God. She said, you know, if, you know, God is probably frowning on me for the things that I've done. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, it's just an amazing moment of just going, wow, you know, this is incredible how people freely offer what they want to do. And then she said, well, why are you a Christian? And so I gave her my 30-second challenge because she was too drunk for 90 seconds. <laughs> and I basically said, you know, growing up wasn't fun. Um, and so I decided as a young guy that I was just going to enjoy life as much as possible. But in that process, I heard a lot of people, especially in relationships. And no matter how much I tried to do better, I always felt crap about that. And so eventually someone told me about Jesus, and literally, I started to feel like I could live with myself again. I felt like I could do life well. I felt like I was understood for the first time, and most importantly, I was given a purpose. I thought that was good. And then she, um, and then she turned around and she said, you know, I had a bad childhood too, but I'm fed up with living in self-pity. I'm just going to go and enjoy my life. I mean, what do you say to that? And there's nothing really you can but I didn't even think what I was doing. I just laid a hand on her shoulder. And I just said, you know, if that doesn't work out for you, you know, one day when you want help, just know that God loves you. And more importantly, you know, he isn't frowning on you. In fact, he's watching over you, hoping that one day you would give him the opportunity to demonstrate how much he loves you. I have no idea where that came from. But, you know, the beautiful thing, she sat there and she whirled up. And for the first time ever, you know, since I met her 10 minutes ago, um, 
I saw a genuine smile on her face. We changed the conversation, and that was the end of it. But you know what? She was about 10 minutes later, and a couple of glasses of wine, she was gone. You know, I, I didn't speak to her at all for the rest of the flight. She was out of it. But, um, but I prayed for her. I, I thought about her, and I just thought how I could empathize with that, how I could empathize with that pain and that hopelessness. And I just thought, you know, she, this is a girl that just needs set and free from that. And the most thing that caught me about that conversation was as far as I'm aware, we had just finished the mission. But it turns out that it's not just poor people in India that need setting free. There's people all over the world that the enemy's busy at work with, holding captive to that fear, to that pain, to that hopelessness. But you know what Jesus said? He said, the Spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. You know, more so, God is calling men and women, you and me, to go out and set people free. This is what I want to talk about. It's actually, you know, I was talking to Fliss about this, and it was an interesting conversation, but I want to talk about warfare. You know, several times when I was away, a couple of, this verse kept on coming to mind, saying, as I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. You may know, you probably know Moses' story. He was a, a somewhat shy guy, but he had been called by God to go and set people free. And so somewhat nervously, he approached Pharaoh, saying to God, how am I going to do this? And God said those words, I will be with you. And so he did it, and then empowered by the Holy Spirit and full of confidence, he stood in front of this great leader, this God-man as he was known, and said, let my people go. After some incredible spiritual battles, which Moses literally just stood and watched in awe as the enemies of Egypt were defeated one by one, and God showed himself to be almighty. People were set free. And then after Jesus, uh, so after Jesus, I want to jump ahead of myself. After Moses, uh, Joshua came. And Joshua was given this command. He was commanded to take them into this new land that God had for them. Now the problem with this new land, it was filled with evil. It was filled with idols that were leading people into depravity and destruction. It was ruining them. And so God told Joshua, go and clear this land of evil, that my people may be free. And so Joshua went with these words, as I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. The power that was upon Moses, the power that delivered people from Egypt was with Joshua. You know, the amazing thing about Joshua, his name means deliverer. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is called Jesus, as opposed to, you know, something contemporary like Bob or George or something? He was called Jesus because Jesus means Joshua. And Jesus came as the great deliverer. So just, just as Joshua drove out the enemy from the land of Canaan to set his people free, Jesus comes, and this is by no mistake is his name this, it points towards his mission, to clear this land, this world of evil, so he could set people free. The Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. You see, because of our sin, we unknowingly gave ourselves as slaves to the enemy. But God so loved the world that he sent his son to set people free by buying our freedom from the cross and then disarming the enemy through his resurrection. And the problem is that not everyone knows this. And in the meantime, the defeated enemy is holding on to people as if he still owns them. 
And when judgment comes, if they haven't chosen freedom, they will die too. Jesus didn't leave it just to him to change the world. He then empowered all those that followed him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Pop quiz to you. How many people are we baptizing in December? Say it again. 100. And surely I am with you. Just as I was with Moses, just as I was with Joshua, I am with you. This is the great commission. This is the power and authority to undertake the mission to set people free. Make no mistake, guys. Jesus did not come as a nice guy hoping to win a few followers. He came as a warrior to deliver those he loves, those that are lost. This is far from the meek Jesus that many people perceive or imagine. He is driven by love. He is motivated by compassion. He is the great deliverer on a mission to set his people free. In the same way, we've not been called to be nice Christians in the hope that we attract a few people to church. We have been called to fight, to drive the enemy out of this land and set people free. But this isn't a fight against people. This is a fight for people. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. And just because it's a spiritual battle, we've been given spiritual weapons. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I'm going to tell you those weapons today, and I'm going to encourage and implore you to use them as warriors as men and as women that are called to a mission. And those weapons are very simple. It is worship and witness. Let me explain. Worship. You know, during my time in India, I I felt like I rediscovered the power of worship. It was generally during sung worship, whether it was on the iPod or in the services. But there were also moments when I was just with God, thanking God, just praising God for who he was. It taught me something about worship as a weapon. Three quick points. First one, worship invites the presence of God. You know, worship is effectively surrender. And when you're faced with a situation and choose to worship God before anything else, you are choosing to surrender everything about that situation to him. Psalm 22 says this, You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Many quote it as, uh, You inhabit the praises of your people. In other words, when we worship God, God comes. And when he comes, his kingdom comes. And when his kingdom comes, the enemy flees. Destruction is undone. Healing takes place. Minds are put at peace. God's blessing is poured out. And we did this at Life Group last week. We basically just worshipped for about 30 minutes. And it was incredible. It was great worship. It was a great song. But really, it was just the moment of us going, we surrender. And then afterwards, I, I was asked, you know, we, we received, a lot of people had words of knowledge or scriptures or pictures that came to mind. And afterwards, I asked people, I said, just out of interest, 
For all those things to come up, who needed to hear one of those words today? And almost every hand went up in that room. There was great power. There was great deliverance. There was great freedom. God ministered to us just in the worship. Second thing, worship changes us. N.T. Wright says that we become like uh, we become like what we worship. Okay, so Bella. Everyone says that Bella, my daughter, is uh, is is just a daddy's girl, which I've got to be honest, I love. I, I love hearing that. Um, but uh, but the problem is, is that part of that is that she would just copy everything I do. And so when I'm in the living room just trying to clear up and I'm throwing toys into the, uh, the box or throwing stuff into the bin, she's picking all this up. And so the other day she was in the bathtub and I just went to lift the toilet seat. And within seconds, before I'd even finished lifting it, she had managed to, on the other side of the bathroom, pick up a toy, throw it into the toilet. <laughs> I, was, I was part angry, but part so impressed. This is a dad thing, I think. We're just like, wow, that is just amazing. <laughs> and when we love someone, we become like them. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of worship, is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Have you ever heard someone say these words? When they've looked out and they've seen someone do something, or they've read a news story, and they make this flippant comment saying, wow, that's, that's like restored my faith in humanity. Have you heard that? You know, people are surrounded by evil in this world. And when you reflect God and show love and these fruits, you don't just restore people's faith in humanity. You get to restore people's faith in God. The third one, worship reveals the object of worship. Um, sorry, it reveals the king, actually. I'll put it up differently on that screen. Uh, Psalm 47 says this, sing praises to God, sing praises to our king, sing praises. One of the most important revelations about God is that he is king. An incredible thing. A king brings order, it brings justice, it brings prosperity, it brings blessing, and brings security for all those under his rule. You know, we have the royal family in this country, and, and it brings awe from all over the world. But we, you and I, have a privilege of calling her our queen. She is obliged to protect us as her royal subjects. The army goes out with the queen's mark on their sleeves. The police protect us in her name. The nation's banking system, legal system, political system all come under the queen's authority and bear her image. But with God, it is greater. His legal system is just and it even makes a way for those who are seeking redemption. His banking system is second to none for he owns everything in the world. The political system is not simply this system of debating and trying to make a decision based on popular consensus, but is seeking justice for the oppressed, deliverance for the captive. It is quick to act and be powerful beyond comparison and righteous without fault. And most incredibly, we get to enter that king's throne room. We get to sit at his feet, not as slaves or as servants, but as sons and daughters, as princes and princesses. You know, TVs and radios all over the world were poised, waiting for that tremendous news of the royal baby this week. 
But that celebration that awaited Prince George outside the hospital when he was born was just a glimpse of that heavenly celebration that is awaiting those lost sheep who are born again into the kingdom of God. Indeed, and this is one of the most powerful images I've ever held onto. Even the kings and queens of this land and who have ever existed will bow their knee to the king that is in heaven. More so, he is declared as the warrior king. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He is able, without any hesitation, to conquer any enemy that you and I may face. There is nothing too difficult for him. And this all comes from the power of just worship. And finally, witness. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Witness is essentially proclamation and demonstration. Steve Jobs, um, you know, the great founder and leader of Apple, who's, uh, who passed away last year or whatever it was, when he was 13, he saw this picture on the front of Life magazine of starving children in Africa or somewhere. And he went to his preacher, age 13, and he asked him this question. He said, if I was to raise a finger, would God know which finger I'd raise before I'd raise my hand? And the preacher said, well, yes, of course he would. And so then he pulled out the Life magazine. And I said, well, if God knows that, then does he know about these kids suffering? And why isn't he doing anything about it? Do you know what that preacher said? I know you don't understand, but yeah, God knows. And that was it. How horrific. Can you imagine if someone was able to respond to him? To describe and explain the spiritual war at hand. And then to give him the opportunity to fight that war. On God, with God on his side. Against the powers of evil to set people free. I won't recover all the stuff that we've done in the last four weeks of Just Walk Across the Room because it's been incredible about that proclamation side of things. But let me just give you a, an opportunity to respond in a different way. If you're not sure how you would answer Steve Jobs in that situation or anyone, you know, somewhere in two pieces I think it is, it says always be willing, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. And by all means, it's your testimony about how, who God is and how he is, but we're called to be ready. Now, the two options that you have, I mean, we have Alpha in September. If you are unsure of any of these questions, come to Alpha. It's a place where you can ask the most basic and most powerful and prominent of questions, and that through discussion, you may find an answer to them, or at least a, a start of the journey towards one. But if you have a Monday morning free, or if you can free it, 
we are starting our discipleship year come internship year. And on Monday mornings, we're going to do a teaching, and we're going to go through the book of Romans, which is effectively the gospel. And it's just brilliant. It really is. You know, Romans was written to brand new Christians to give them a, an understanding of what they believe. And somehow we're all supposed to know it and understand it, and yet it seems like one of the most difficult books. But come along on a Monday morning if you can, and be part of that training. Let us share with each other what we see the gospel is. Those are two opportunities for you. So that's proclamation. Demonstration. As I've mentioned already, you know, when you reflect God and do simple acts of love, you do more than restore faith in humanity. You restore faith in God. But remember that God said he is with you. Just as he was with Moses, just as he was with Joshua, just as he was in the ministry of Jesus. And so... You have the power and authority to set people free from the enemy's grasp. And when I say power, I mean power. You know, other religions like Islam actually believe that if you have a dream that needs interpreting, a demon that needs casting out, or you need a healing, then go to Christians because they know how to do that stuff. If you don't, get along to 102, 103. We have the power to do this where other faiths and other beliefs have no idea. That is incredible. I love that. So we have great weapons of warfare, simply in worship and in, warf- and in um, witness. Worship and witness. Maybe this reminds you of another verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind. Worship. And love your neighbor as yourself that you would be willing to witness to them. Could the band come back up, actually? Let me finish with this little story or quip. You know, in, um, there was an early missionary to China before the communists came in and closed the doors, basically, to China. And they were seeing God at work in this place, and they were doing their best to do whatever they can to see God's, you know, and then make Christ known, you know, that phrase we, we use quite a lot. And then when they were kicked out, he said that uh, this guy estimated there's about 750,000 Christians, which is quite a big number, to be honest. But then uh, as the communist regime fell, as very strict rules fell in place, as people were banned in some ways from worshiping, they feared for what may happen out there. And then as the doors finally reopened in the 1980s, They saw the results. And effectively, and it's really a guess because no one really knows, but they estimate conservatively there's probably at least 100 million Christians now. 750,000 to 100 million. Chinese expert estimated that the revival in China represents the greatest numerical revival in the history of the church. In an odd way, the government's hostility toward the church actually works for the church's advantage. As they shut out the power structures, Chinese Christians could do nothing but devote themselves to worship and evangelism. Worship and witness. The original mission of the church. They did not concern themselves with politics. They decided to concentrate on changing lives, not changing laws. Let me explain just that. There is so much 
that we can and should do as Christians for our world. But it's all meaningless unless we join in the mission that Jesus came to do, to set people free. Otherwise, it's like handing someone on death row an extra pillow to make themselves comfortable when actually you have the power within your hands to set them free. Let me pray. Would you guys mind standing? Father, we prayed your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is freedom in heaven. There's power in heaven. There is peace in heaven. And Father, you are breaking that out now. You know, there's that phrase that you hear street preachers preach, the end is near. But Lord, that is great news. That's not bad news. That's fantastic news. Because that means that Jesus, what's in heaven, what was at the end, is actually breaking in now. It is near. It is at hand. Freedom is available. Life is available. Hope is available. Healing is available. Your will, as it is in heaven, is coming to earth and is indeed available now. So may we go out of this place on a mission to set people free in the name of Jesus. That we wouldn't just bring comfort, that we would bring hope. That we would drive out the enemy from this land so that people can see that you are king. Lord, we do all of this and we ask for the power to do this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said...